Well, praise the Lord. This is Apostle, and we're welcoming you back to another Man Talk for Men. And we are looking forward to getting back into our Men of War series of messages. We've been, we've been talking about we have not many fathers, and we're going to get back into the Word because it is very vital for you to hear what we have to share with you today. And I want to share with you some important words that God gives us because we as men have a tremendous responsibility that God has placed upon us. And he wants you and I to walk in the revelation of this word. So we're going to get right into the word and we're going to see what the Holy Ghost has to say as we talk about another role that a father must play. And today we're going to be talking about a father as a parent, a father as a parent. Now, listen to what 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 I share with you as the Lord gave me this to share with you uh, this this uh, this few uh, portions of word here. The Bible teaches us very many things. But look at what we have drawn from what God says to us about fathers. A father is a parent who lives or father as a parent lives with his son. Notice lives with his son and provides for all areas of his life. He lavishes his son with love, acceptance and care to ensure his spiritual, his emotional and his physical growth into an anointed man of God. Now that's what we as fathers are supposed to be doing as a parent. We are to live with our sons, our daughters as well, and provide for all areas of their lives, especially when we're dealing with our sons, because we're talking about men and we're talking about raising our sons. We have to lavish our son with love, acceptance and care, and we have to ensure their spiritual, their emotional and their physical growth into an anointed man of God. Now, this is what God has called you and I as fathers to do. We have been called by him to do exactly that. And, and if you look at what God is expecting of us as a parent, then we can look through those different points that we've just made. And we're going to elaborate on those points. But you can see as we elaborate, as we elaborate on these points where so many fathers are coming short of where they're supposed to be. All right. Now, take a look here. And I want to go back to this particular uh, saying again that God gave me to share with you as a parent. Now, it says a father as a parent lives with his son. So the first thing we need to understand is that fathers need to be at home raising their children. And we see so many times that fathers are not at home with their own children. And because the father is absent, there are so many things that can take place in the children's lives that the father who has authority cannot exercise because he's not in the home with the children. Now, the Bible says that we as fathers are parents, you and the mother are parents and you are to be together raising your children. And each parent has a role to play the father as a provider, as a progenitor, as a governor. We've talked about all these different areas already, but today we're talking about the father as a parent. One of the things we need to understand that as a father, you are a parent. And as a parent, then you have parental roles that you have to play. 
And you cannot, as a lot of men do, they shirk all of the parental roles off onto the wife and the, the mother while the father goes off and he may go to work or whatever. And then that's the, the extent of his uh, interactions. And so when he comes home, he's not really parenting the children and he leaves all that to the mother. He leaves the discipline to the, to the mother. He leaves the, the teaching and the training to the mother. Go see your mama, go see your mama, go talk to your mama. And so we need to understand this is not the role that God has given us as men to shirk our responsibilities as leaders in that home providers and caretakers and parents to our children. We as fathers have a tremendous responsibility of parenting our children. And we're going to see that as we get into the word. So let's go to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. And we'll launch off from here. And I guarantee you, fathers, we've got a lot of responsibility that's sitting up on our heads. Now, notice what the Bible says here in verse five and verse six. It says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Now, the Bible says, this is what God's word is telling us as fathers, that your conversation should be without covetousness. And we're going to talk about all of this because this is very interesting. Because when he talks about the word conversation there, the word conversation, it means it comes from two words. It's tropos, and it means from, it comes from the word tropio, and it means to turn or a turning or a turning in a direction. And so we need to understand that this word means to turn or to turn in a, a direction. Now notice what it talks about when it talks about this turning. It's a turning of your mind, a turning of your life, a turning of your manner and mode of thinking and feeling and acting. So when we're talking about turning here or your conversation, what God is actually saying to us is this, let the turning of your life, your mode of action, your mode of acting, your mode of thinking, your mode of feeling, let your mode of thinking be turned to the things of God. This is what he's actually saying. So it, when it's talking about conversation, it's not just you talking about things and having a, a, a verbal conversation with people. This word goes for, far further than that. This word extends out to your thinking, your feeling and your actions that become consistent and you turn to that that way of living, you begin to live like that on a consistent basis. And this is what God is talking to us about when he's talking about your conversation. He's talking about your conduct, your life, your lifestyle must be turned to the things of God because unless your lifestyle and my lifestyle is turned to the things of God, we will never walk in the authority that God has given us to be a parent to our children because we won't have the equipment to parent them. You have to understand anybody that's living now, we are living in some of the most evil, probably the most evil and wicked times that the world has ever seen. 
There are more people in the world and there are more ways of wickedness that have been invented and created by man. And we need to understand we're coming closer and closer to the end of the world. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take the church out of here. The Bible talks about how Satan knows that he has but a short time and he is increasing his attacks as well. So you need to understand and I need to understand that the times in which we live in are very crucial and we must walk in the revelation of God. So the first thing that we have to do is we have to turn. Now, if in fact God said you got to turn, then that must mean that we must be going a opposite direction. All of us who have grown up our lives because we have a sin nature and we have flesh. There are areas in our lives that we are not walking the way God wants us to walk. Even after we get born again and we're walking with God, there's still areas in our lives that are going opposite or contrary to what God wants us to do. So this is a consistent thing. This is a, a, a lifestyle of turning every time God shows you an area in your life where you're not going in the direction God expects you and I to turn and to turn to his way of feeling, his way of thinking, and his way of acting in that particular area. Why? Because the more that we line our lives up with the feelings, actions, and the and the uh, thinking of God, we will then be able to manifest God's power, his glory, his tr his tremendous spirit, and we will be able to affect the lives of those that are around us. So it behooves us to understand these these instructions that we are being given. So now the first thing he says, you must turn. Now, here's the problem with this. Because if you're a man and you're walking in pride, and if you're a man that thinks that you've got it all together and you know everything and can't nobody tell you anything, and you're insecure about listening to someone else and following what they say, then you're going to have a problem obeying God because God just told you you're going to have to turn. And in fact, if you're one that's prideful and you don't think you need to turn, then you're not going to turn. Notice what he says now. So we got to turn in our thoughts. You got to change the way you think. You got to you got to turn in your feelings. You got to turn. You got to change the way you feel about things. And then you got to change or turn uh, in the way of your actions. So then what you do has to change. God is calling for a complete metamorphosis of our way of living to turn away from the wickedness of the world. The Bible says it like this. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. It is not of the father, but it is of the world and the world passes away and the lust thereof. But who he that doeth the will of God, the father, he abides forever. You need to see this now because God has given us instruction. We've got to turn from the way the world does things. The Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Why? He says, what fellowship have light with darkness? And we, what fellowship have Christ with Belial or Christ with the devil? So we have to change the way we live and we have to change the way we act and we have to change the way we think and we have to change the way we feel. 
fulfilled. If your soul has been tied to the world, the Bible says it like this, for what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You got to step and let go everything that is holding you back from serving God. Anything in this world and everything that is in this world is not worth your soul. What can you give in exchange for your soul? You need to understand something now, my brothers. And I'm telling you, there are those of you that have children. And we're focusing on sons. But those of you men that have sons, your sons are depending on you. Now, they're depending on you to deal with the things of their lives. Let's go back to this and see what we're saying here as we continue to talk about this in Hebrews chapter 13. So he says now that we have to watch this now. Let our conversations turn. Our actions turn. Uh, watch this now. Our feelings turn to be without covetousness. So that's what we got to turn. We've got to turn away from covetousness. So one of the areas that you've got to turn away from is covetousness. And covetousness is a very interesting word because this word covetous, it comes from, watch this now, uh, from the word aphalaguros. And it comes from the word a, which means without, and then philagoras, which means a lover of money. Isn't that interesting? So now this word here where it says your conversation or your feelings, your actions and your thoughts have to turn away from being a lover of money, a covetous person, a person that is fond of money, a person that loves money so much. Now, why in the world would God put that here in this particular verse of scriptures where he says the way you think, the way you feel and the way you act have to turn away from being a lover of money? The reason why is because in the world, money is worshiped. Money represents power. And therefore, if you are a lover of money and if you just have a consistent desire and a passion for money because you know that it will it represents you having power, then your love for the money will then begin to supersede even your love of God. It will supersede your love of your family because we find many people now and especially men who will love money so much that their love for money has tied them into seeking after the money. And so they will do things to try to get money because of their love. The Bible says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Notice now, the love of money. This is what he's talking about here. You cannot be a lover of money because if you're a lover of money, then that is the root of all evil. Loving money is the root of all evil. You need to understand that money is a commodity. Money is not a person. And a lot of times people look at money as your, as their savior. If I just get enough money, my, 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 the money will be the savior of my life. I can get the kind of car I want, the house I want, the clothes I want, uh, the vacations I want, the, the, the food I want to eat and, and everything else. And so the, the money becomes your God. 
And when you when it becomes your God, it becomes your savior. When it becomes your savior, it becomes your idol. And that's what you're worshiping. That's why God said you've got to turn your thinking, your feeling and your action away from loving money. Because when you start feeling money and you start loving money, you start thinking money and you start going after money in ways that you should not then the money becomes the biggest hindrance to you. Men have walked away from their families because they love money. The love of money causes people to gamble. Men have, have gambled away their, their houses, their, their families have ended, their, their marriages have ended in divorce. They, they've gambled away their homes, their cars, their finances, because they love money so much, they want to win more and more. And the more that they go after it, the deeper they get into it. And instead of winning, they keep losing. Men want love money so much that, that money becomes the primary object in their life. See, your conversation cannot be a person who is a lover of money. And so when you love money the way that God is saying, don't do that, when God says, turn away from that kind of life, See, when you love money like that, then you'll do whatever it takes to get the money. This is why people steal. This is why people rob banks. This is why people kill other people. You need to understand all because they want money so bad. This is why men take on six and seven jobs or they'll work in a, a position where they'll work 80 and 90 hours a week in, and, and they're always at work and they're never with their families because they love money. They've got to make that money. They got to get the next big deal. They've got to get the next big closure. They got to get the next big sale when in essence you're spending all of that time away from your home, you're spending all that time away from your wife and your children, and you're spending that time lusting after money. That's the whole key, because the more prosperous your business becomes, the more money you'll have. But in the interim period, you're losing your family. You're losing your relationship with God. People will become, because they love money so much, they can become very stingy with money, which what do I mean? They don't want to give Give money away. They don't want to part with their money. They've worked hard for their money. And so they'll take that money and they'll use that money and they'll keep it and they'll save it so that they can build up their, their war chest. And so they don't want to give their money, which then enters into their relationship with God. Because when God calls us as Christians to come to church and to worship him, one of the areas that we're supposed to worship God is in his, is in tithe and in offering. Tithes is 10% of your gross income that you bring. So now a person that loves money is not going to want to part with 10% of their gross income. See, if you're making $100,000 a year, then God expects you to tithe $10,000 of that $100,000 uh, into the ministry. That's just for the tithe. Then God says we need to honor him in tithe and offering. And your offering is what you give over and above your tithe. You need to see what God is trying to get you to understand. And so your offering should be somewhere near where the same thing your tithe is because you're loving God. See, the offering is how much you love God and how much you appreciate God. The tithe is not really a love offering. It's a love offering because you love God and you're obeying 
him. But the tithe is what God tells you you need to give. You have to give because that's not really yours. The tenth, the first tenth of the finances that God has blessed you with is God's. And he wants you to give that back to him. But then you make a decision by the way you think, by the way you feel and by the way you act by turning to God. Then you will give offerings based on how much you love God, how much you honor God, and how much you want to invest in the kingdom of God. This is where your offering comes in. So we see now that God is showing you as a parent and as a father, you cannot be a lover of money because when God brings money into your hands, that money is to support your family. That money is to support your ministry. That money is to give God the glory and to honor him with your finances. Now, you need to understand God loves you enough that he wants you to be blessed. He wants to prosper you, but he wants you to get it on his terms, not on the devil's terms or not even on on your terms, you have got to understand God wants you to walk in financial blessings, but in financial blessings, he does not want you to bury your life in running after, seeking after, lusting after, and worshiping money so that you have no life once you get the money in your hands. Because by the time you get home, you're too tired to do anything and you only can go to sleep and get back up so you can beat it back into the office or beat it back onto your job, whatever job you're working, so that you can make more money. More money, more money causes more trouble. And you need to understand that. And the reason why I say more money causes more trouble, more money when you're going after the money the devil's way. When God blesses you, the Bible said the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and he addeth no sorrow to it. When God releases you finances, you don't have to spend all that time running after the finances. Finances will come into your hands. God will take care of you and provide for you so that you'll be able to enjoy every aspect of your life. Your time with him, your time with your wife, your time with your children, your time with your family so that you can live a well-balanced life. This is what God wants us to do and what he wants us to understand and know. You need to see this, my brothers. Look at this. Let's get back to Hebrews chapter 13. No, okay, so now we understand. We ought to let and turn our conduct, turn our lifestyle to be without loving money. That's what he said. Let your conversation be without covetousness. He says, and be content now, this is interesting because this is going to really bless you here. When we talk about content, he says, be content with such things as you have. Hmm. What does that mean? Be content with such things as you have. Because, see, the first understanding of that, when you read that, be content with such things as you have. And 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 you can think, and, and many people would think when it says be content with whatever you have, then that means, well, whatever you got, just be content with it and just be, you know, happy with what you got. If you ain't got nothing, God wants you to be content with not having nothing. Uh, if you're broke, God just wants you to be content with being broke. That's not what the word is saying here. And that's not what God is saying. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite of that. And we're going to show you what that word means. Let's get back into this and see what he says here. For God says here, watch this now. This is very interesting here. 
He says, be content with such things as you have. Now, that word content means to suffice. It means to be sufficient and to satisfy. And it means to be strong and able to assist someone. So that means you have a sufficiency and you have enough to be strong and to be able to assist someone. This word also means to have in full and therefore have a sufficiency. So in essence, now, when God is talking about being content, he's talking about be satisfied by having enough and to have enough sufficiency so that you can be strong and able to assist someone. What God is actually saying is this, your life must be in a position where you have enough. You have a sufficiency of whatever you need in the things that you need, so much so that you have enough to satisfy and take care of the needs of someone else. That doesn't sound like somebody just saying, well, just be glad you ain't got nothing. No, it is saying that you, you be satisfied. You live your life. You do what God has called you to do until he takes you to that place of satisfaction, that place of sufficiency where you have enough to meet your needs and you have enough to meet the needs of the others. And that's when you become satisfied. That's when you become content because once you have your needs met and you're satisfied and then you're able to meet the needs of others, that will immediately cause you to have rest. It'll cause you to have peace in the state that you're living in and what you have because you have enough. Being content means to be in a position where your needs are supplied and met so much so that you have enough to assist somebody else. That does not mean broke and poor and can't get around nothing where and can't get nothing and then just be satisfied with that. That is not what that scripture is saying. As a matter of fact, this word content means you're prosperous. It actually means that God is saying you are prosperous. You have enough. God is supplying your need and therefore be sufficient. He's saying be sufficient. Be well able to take care of your needs and the needs of others. He's saying for you to be that way. This is how he wants you to live. This is how he wants you to think. Remember now, you're turning your thinking to this way. So you're turning your thinking, you're turning your feelings, and you're turning your actions to this way of being satisfied, being fulfilled, being fully supplied by God in every area of your life. Because this being content does just not mean being content with money, but it means being content with whatever resource you need in order to be able to assist someone. That means you be, you're getting to the point where you are sufficient in, a, in the word of God so that you can share God's word with people and give them godly counsel from God's word. You're, you're sufficient and, and you have, you're well supplied and you're satisfied with the anointing and the presence of God in your life so that you can minister to people and bless people and call people to be uh, relieved and delivered from satanic influence. See, you need to understand when God is talking to you as a man and as a Christian man, 
Because this is not going to apply to worldly men, men that are not born again because they can't walk in these blessings of God because they're not born again. This is for the Christian man. This is for the man that wants to obey God. God is giving you access to his power. He's giving you access to his authority. He's giving you access to his ability. He's giving you access to his wealth because he wants you to be fully supplied so that you can be able to assist other people. This is what he wants you to do. Oh my goodness. I pray that you're getting something out of this. Come on now and listen to what he's going on to say. Notice he says, so when you are fully supplied with the things that you have, and now, now he's going to tell us why, why you're fully supplied. He says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content or be fully supplied so that you're able to take care of somebody else's needs as well as your own with such things as you have for or because he saith, this is why you can be content. This is why you can be fully supplied because the father has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God said the reason why you can be content is because I won't leave you and I won't forsake you. Now, this is what God as our father does for us. Now, this is what you are going to have to do for your family. You're going to have to not leave your family and not forsake your family. Praise God. This is what God really ultimately wants from us. Now, that word leave there, it's, it's a very interesting word because notice what it means. It means to send forth or send away or to dismiss to leave and it means to dismiss or leave or to neglect. So now here God is saying, I'm not going to dismiss you. I'm not going to leave you and I'm not going to neglect you. And because I'm not going to do those things to you, you have everything that I want to supply you with because I'm going to be in your life. And since I'm in your life, I'm going to be there to help you to get the things that you need because I'm not going to dismiss you. I'm not going to push you away or throw you out. Neither am I going to leave you or walk away from you. And neither am I going to neglect you. You need to understand something here. When a parent, see, you can be a parent and you can be a father living in a house and you can be in the house with your son. You can be in the house with your family and you can dismiss them. Yes, you can. By putting them out of your life, putting them out of your thoughts, and you only do what you want to do and you live selfishly, even though you're in the house, but you've dismissed them. They can't come to you. They can't approach you. They can't ask you for anything. And everything is yours. And, and, and your life is your life. And then they're off compartmentalized. And well, that's when you dismiss someone and then you don't give any thought. You don't give any compassion to what they think you did dismiss their thinking. You, you pass it off and it only matters what you feel or what you think. That's what it means to dismiss. But then he also talks about leaving. This is where you actually physically get up and leave. And you can walk out of your house and you can leave your children. You can leave your family. And this is what God is saying. I will never leave you. 
I'll never walk away from you. I'm not going to leave you homeless. I'm not going to leave you parentless. I'm not going to walk away from you. How many fathers have walked out of the homes where the children are and they've left their children? And I want to I'm going to break that down a little bit more, too, because we need to understand some things about this as men. You need to understand, men. See, when you have children, that means that you've had a relationship with a woman in your life. And what we need to understand, and this is how we all, all of us men need to turn and we need to turn our thinking, our feeling and our actions to God. Because when you're growing up and you're starting to grow up, I'm telling you, you'll be tempted by the devil to get in all kinds of relationships. And God wants you to have a godly way of dealing with your relationships, especially when it comes to you as a man dealing with a woman and especially when you as a man want to get married. Now, the first thing that we need to understand is this. The woman that you want to marry, first of all, you need to look at and you need to analyze and you need to think and go before God and make sure that this woman is capable of you living with her. I want you to understand that she has to be capable of you living with her. You have to see that you're able to live with her and that you have to see how she is, how she's made up, how her lifestyle is, how she was raised, how she thinks. You need to understand all these things before you get married. And how many men have made the mistake and how many women have made the mistake? Because this also goes for women. Women, when you get ready to get married, you need to see, can I live with this man? Because if, in fact, I'm seeing things and a lot of times God will show you things about a person that you're in a relationship with and he's trying to give you some commercials of how they're going to act if you get married to them. And if you're so caught up in lust and if you're so caught up in wanting sex or if you're so caught up in just being in love it, with being in love so that you're overlooking all of these, these red flags that God is throwing up, you'll then go ahead and marry the person and, and, and all of those things that God was trying to show you or God was sending people to let you know then uh, you go ahead on and marry that person. And then once you marry that person and you, you may have children with them, and but all of these things, then all those red flags start popping up and it causes your life to be miserable and you can be living in a house with a spouse that's driving you absolutely crazy, driving you out of your mind to the point that you've got to leave. Sometimes it's, it's necessary that you leave because of violence and, 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 and destruction and 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 just a situation that is is untenable for you to stay there and these things can happen male and female and so you need to understand but when one leaves that means the children are left and so God said I'd never leave you this is why God wants us to watch and seek the face of the Lord and let the Holy Spirit lead us. You see, you, you don't know. See, if you're going to be with your children, you need to be with them. And, and when you're in a relationship, you need to understand that that other parent is very vital to your relationship with your children because that other parent will have, and I want to tell you right now, they will have tremendous amounts of influence on your child's upbringing and rearing just like you do. 
And based off of who's got the authority, based off of who's walking in that authority, that is the one that's going to probably win over the affection of the child. And what happens is because notice now you're trying to be a Christian and live in a, a Christian way. But if your spouse is being evil, then what is going to happen is they're going to begin to gravitate to their flesh. And what that spouse is going to begin to do then is to begin to feed the flesh of your child so that they will begin to let your child do things that the sin nature wants them to do. And because the flesh is lusting against the spirit, then if you're a parent and you staying away from home and you're you're loving money and you're trying to do all these other things, then your spouse is taking your child and driving your child further and further into the lap of Satan because you're not exercising your authority and your power of God to impart wisdom into your child and to deal with those sinful things that that other parent is doing. We have seen this happens over and over and over right now. If we could take a poll, it would probably be 80 to 90 percent of you could see how uh, some way in your relationship this this has happened and you've gone through these things. And so we need to understand here. This is why God said that I will never leave you. Because I don't want to leave you. But in leaving, see, when you're talking about leaving, leaving means that you have to take some time and you have to study and analyze the circumstance, the situation, so that when you even get in, get ready to get involved in a situation with a person. I hope somebody's hearing me and I hope somebody's listening today. Those of you men that are unmarried, I'm speaking to you right now. And you're looking at a woman and you're saying, oh, I'm in a relationship and I want to get married and I want to marry her. You need to analyze and see, is this the kind of person that you will be able to live with for the rest of your life? What about her characteristics? What about the things and the idiosyncrasies in her life? Uh, are you able to handle that and deal with that? Does she think the way you think? Does she act the way she you act? How were you raised? How do you think about money? How do you think about life? How do you think about sex? How do you think about friendships? Come on, somebody, because if your wife is one that had a whole lot of men friends and she wants to keep all of those men friends and all their phone numbers and texting and all of that, then you're going to have a problem in your marriage. The same thing, wives, if your husband has got a lot of women friends and, and all these women are calling him and, and they honey and sugar and sweetie and, and friends and all of that. And I'm telling you, you're going to get tired of that and because that's going to cause some problems because I'm going to tell you some of them friends not going to like the fact that they've lost part of that uh, friendship to the person that you're married to because you're married to them. And so they can become jealous and begin to try to sabotage your relationship and try to usurp authority over your spouse so that they can have more of your spouse in their life like they used to. See, I'm telling you, you need to understand there are some things here that you need to look at. And all of these areas will cause you to leave your family. And so you need to deal with these things before you actually get a family, because you may be preventing yourself from getting into some hardship relationships that will cause you to suffer. And eventually down the line, it will cause your children to suffer. Notice he says, I'll never leave thee. I'll never leave thee. I'll never leave thee. I'll never leave thee. And then it says neglect. You, he, you won't neglect your children. You won't be so sick. Uh, so selfish that you don't 
care about or you don't see the needs of your children. And so then you don't deal with them and the areas that they need your support, the area that they need your help and your trust. You don't deal with them in that area because you're neglecting them. You're not taking time to see how they feel. You're not taking time to understand how did their day go. You're not understanding. You're not taking time to see what are they interested in. You're neglecting them. You're staying away from the things that they want to do. It's always about what you want to do. And if it's not uh, in line with what you want to do, you don't want to have anything to do with it. You dismiss it. You, you leave it. You walk away from it. And so your son that you're neglecting can feel bad. Now, what? let me show you something. What does leaving a person do to that person's identity? What does it do to their self-esteem and what does it do to their protection and their comfort? So if, in fact, if you're a father and you leave your son, what does that do to your son's self-esteem, your son's identity? Because that son is looking at my father left me. So then the, the child feels abandoned and they feel that there was something about them that was distasteful to the father so that the father walked away from them. Their self-esteem can then be damaged because they begin to and the devil will help them to feel bad about themselves and saying, well, there was something wrong with you. That's why your father left you. That's why your dad left you. That's why he walked away from you, because there was something wrong with you. And so you, 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 you're just not enough for uh, to be loved by your father. Then what about the protection? Since you've left your children, you can't protect them from the attacks of the devil. You can't protect them from what Satan is doing in their lives. You can't protect them from what other people are doing in their lives. There may be somebody bullying them at school, but you can't protect them because you know where to be found because you've left them, you've dismissed them, and you've forsaken them. And we're going to talk about forsaking them in a minute. And so then we also see where's their comfort? They don't have any comfort? How can they be comforted? How can they be held and, and caressed and told that everything's going to be all right? How can they be counseled when you've left, when you've neglected them and when you've dismissed them and walked away from them? You see, this is what God is sharing with us in this word. See, so he says here, I will never leave you. Can you imagine what would happen to us as Christians if God just walked away from us and if he dismissed us, left us and neglected us? We would just by all means be the most depressed and frustrated and, and, and suicidal people in the world because we've given all we had to serve God. And then God turned his back on us and leave us and neglect us and, and just do nothing and not protect us, not uh, not comfort us, not help us, just dismiss us, won't listen to us. He leaves us. He leaves our presence. We don't have his presence anymore. We're neglected. What would that do to your identity? What would that do to your self-esteem? What would that do when he doesn't protect you anymore? What would it do when he won't comfort you anymore? See, this is what God is getting us to see. So he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, that word forsake means to leave you behind in a place or a state. And it means, watch this now, to, to leave you behind in a place or in a state. Now, that's bad. It means to leave you and to desert and to abandon you. And it also means to separate yourself spiritually, separate yourself physically, and separate yourself emotionally. So this forsaking is bad because, it's, first of all, it leaves you behind in a place or a state. What that means is this. 
When you leave a person and you forsake them, what you actually do is whatever state that they feel because you have left them. You remember the emotions and the self-esteem and the protection and all of that. Now they're neglected. They feel uh, low self-esteem. They, they feel rejected. They have self-rejection. Uh, they have low self-esteem, no self-esteem. They're feeling bad about themselves. When you when And so when you forsake them, you leave them in that state of being because you have walked away and therefore because you've neglected them you've left them in a state of whatever being they are in and so they're just they're they're, they're caught up in a vortex of of low self-esteem help hurt abandonment loneliness helplessness doubt unbelief no confidence feeling unprotected feeling unwanted, feeling unloved. And that's a state that you leave them in when you leave your family, when you leave your children. And so then they're open for these attacks of the devil to come upon them any kind of way he desires, because this is how the devil loves to deal with people. He loves to get on our weaknesses and then break us in our weaknesses and keep us locked in there in that prison so that we can never come out. And then he can just move around and mess with our minds, mess with our feelings, mess with our lives so that he can then dominate us, dictate to us, make us his slaves and force us to do whatever it is he wants us to do as far as bringing him glory and bringing him glory is to be evil. That's what the devil is trying to do. And so you as a father, God has placed you as a father to your sons in order to keep and protect your sons from falling into the trap of the devil. And that's what forsaking will do. You leave them in a state. And that's a bad way to be a, a state of frustration, a, a state of abandonment, a state of loneliness, helplessness, low self-esteem, self-hatred, rejection, self-rejection. And so all of these things are building up insecurity, fear, doubt, unbelief, frustration, hopelessness, helplessness. And so when they're in that state that you've left them in because you're not there to comfort them, you're not there to, to help them through because you've forsaken them and neglected them, then they're fair game for the devil to take control of them. And this is what God wants you to understand and what God wants you to see. Go back to there again and see. So this is what we're seeing here. So he says, I will never leave you, neither will I forsake you. You do not want to be forsaken. You do not want to be left, not as a child. Because when your parent does that for you, they've just set you up to be jacked up. And the, and the other part about this, too, is when you as a father will leave your son or reject your son and your son is out there in a state and they're looking for acceptance. This is many times why sons will get into gangs. Because they are looking for somebody to give them identity, looking for somebody to give them a, 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 a sense of belonging. And then they will find the devil will always direct them to somebody that will give them that false sense of belonging, that false sense of success, that false sense of acceptance in order to get that child 
into that particular group where then they will get that child to the, where that child, because they've got such low self-esteem, they will become very, very beholding to the ones that would receive them in. They can become very loyal. And it is very interesting to see that there have been abandoned sons that have gotten into gangs and have become very loyal to the gangs and even become leaders of gangs. And they become more loyal to the gangs than their father ever was loyal to them. And then they're whole lifestyle, their whole lifestyle is now locked up in this state of wickedness. This happens so many times because there are so many fathers that are not at home and their sons are being raised by their mothers. You got to listen to this. You got to understand when you as a father forsake your son, then you leave your son in a state where he's going to be raised by women. You need to see what I'm saying here is because you need to understand the reason why God has a man in the family with his son is because his son needs to see the example of what a real man is. And we're going to get into that later on in the series as we talk about uh, being in the image of the father where you will give them the identity of what a real man is. But uh, suffice it to say right now, what happens is unless you are there, you will not be able to to minister to your son. And so then he will get used to gravitating to the women in the house, gravitating. Watch this now to the female leadership and the woman and the mother is not a man. Now, she will do the best she can. And, and God bless the mothers that have taken their sons and have loved them because the father wasn't there. And, and so God gives her grace to be able to meet some of the needs. But it would be so much better if the father was there so that he could pour into the sons. Because sometimes the son, uh, because they're around women all the time, because there are no men in their life, the, the, the sons will become effeminate acting. Now, they may not be homosexual but they will take on the mannerisms and the talking and the gestures of being feminine. And then they will begin to act like that, even though they're not. But then when somebody looks at them, they will say they must be effeminate. They must be gay because of how they talk. When in essence, that's just how they were trained because that was the environment they were brought up in. But then some can actually go over into homosexuality because of the way they've been treated by their fathers. You need to understand this. This is see when we as fathers are in a home, you got to understand leaving and forsaking opens your children up to all kinds of attacks of the devil and they're fair game for the devil to just use them and manipulate them and control them and dominate their lives. And so we need to understand we must walk away from being a a, a, a person who abandons our children. We cannot do that. We got to turn back and we got to turn back, turn back to the way God wants us to live. That's got to be our lifestyle. And the way that you do that is you got to change the way you think, the way you act and the way you feel. All right, let's get back into this. This is so powerful. I'm telling you now, notice what he goes on to say. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, the reason why he said that he said, I'll never leave you and forsake you, which means then that that will my not leaving you and my not forsaking you causes you to change your conversation. And it also causes you to stop loving money because I'm going to be there with you because I'm not going to leave you. And then he says, when I don't leave you and I don't forsake you in verse six, it 
this is so that we may boldly say, so by staying there and by not leaving and by not forsaking, then you cause your sons and your daughters to be able to boldly say, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper because they know the father is going to be there to help them. They know the Lord is going to be there to help them. The Lord is my helper and I will not fear. Watch this now. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. As a father, when you don't forsake your children, your children then when you're in their lives and you're pouring into them and you're loving them and you're giving them blessing and you're ministering to them and praying for them and teaching them and talking to them and training them, then you know, you understand, then you will become the helper to your children. And then the, your helping them will cause them not to fear. Notice the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Fear is the word phobos, and we get the word phobia from it. And that means to be terrified or frightened. It means to cause to run away. Many children have run away from home because the father ran away. It becomes fearful and afraid. It becomes to, uh, it, it takes you to f the fear of something or someone. It causes a person to walk in terror and torment. See, what happens is when a child is abandoned and there's no one to protect them, especially the father protecting their children and especially the father protecting the son, it causes fear to come upon that, upon that child because they've been left, they've been abandoned and they hate that. But that fear causes them to have terror. That fear causes them to have torment. That fear causes them to to become afraid of people. And so they could get into, and that could morph over into a child becoming very submissive to people. What do I mean by that? It can make that child become very, uh, very susceptible to being manipulated and controlled by other people because they felt the pain of that father walking away from them, neglecting them and leaving them. So then the child, because of fear, fear takes that child and says, now the next person that's in your life you better do everything they say. You better just obey them and trust them and, and just let them do whatever they want to you because you don't want to feel that pain anymore. And so the fear of that abandonment causes that child to then begin to submit to people they don't need to be submitting to. They begin to let other people control them and manipulating them because they don't, they fear being left again by the next person in their lives. See, you, you understand we as men, we have a big role to play about how the devil's going to tear up our houses. And we have a big role to play as with how the devil is going to tear up our relationship with our children. Now, here's the one thing I want you to understand, men, and that is this. Now, even though God has given us these roles, he has given us these roles as fathers and protectors so that we can train and teach and love our children. But you need to understand something. That's all you can do. God created us as free moral agents. Even God deals with us the same way that he wants us to deal with our children. God loves us. He provides for us. He protects us. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But in the final analysis, it's still up to us to decide whether or not we're going to serve God and obey God and that we don't leave and forsake God because God gives us that choice. And don't you know that there have been a lot of people that God have loved and have poured into and they've walked away from God? Well, you as a father, 
There may be times when you have loved your children. You have tried to pour into your children, but they decided they didn't want to live like that. Maybe they were getting uh, advice from somebody that was evil. It could have been the uh, spouse that you have or the ex-spouse that you have. And they're training them the opposite way. And so they don't accept what your love is giving them. They don't accept your teaching and they walk away from you. Well, God is not going to hold you accountable for the child walking away because they have a will of their own. All he wants you to do is be in their lives and prepare the atmosphere for them to be blessed so that they can accept the Lord and walk with God the way that God wants them to live. You need to understand and I need to understand this is how God wants you and I to walk and to deal with each other and how we are to deal with our our children and especially fathers as our sons. Your son needs you. Your son has to be with you. Let's go to the next verse of scripture here. Let's look at John chapter eight. John chapter eight. Notice this now. This is in John chapter eight. Notice what Jesus says. Then said Jesus unto them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you shall know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my father has taught me, I speak these things. Notice what the father does here. The father, Jesus says, my father has taught me. And therefore, the things that I speak are the things that I was taught of my father. The word taught is the word didasco. And what it means, it means to teach or instruct by the word of mouth. And it means to watch this now. The word didasco, when it talks about teaching or instruction, the intent is to influence the other person's understanding that's being taught. Are you understanding this? So that means that the purpose of this is to shape the will of the person that you are teaching by communicating knowledge to them. So in essence, now, as a father, you are to teach your children. But your teaching has to be specific. Your teaching has to have a purpose. And the purpose of your teaching as a father is to teach your son and to teach your daughter to teach them. Listen to what you're supposed to teach them, the word of God and to shape their will and to shape their actions by giving them the word in such a way that they can understand it and then expound upon it and teach it, teach it like so that you you give them the impression that you are the instructor and then the child is the pupil and the child is learning from the instructor as you teach them. And as you communicate knowledge to them, you shape their will. You shape the way they make decisions. You, you shape the way they look at things. Why? Because you're teaching them how to live. You're teaching them how to depend on God. You're teaching them how to obey the word. You're teaching them how to be led by the spirit. You're teaching them what it means to be born again. Again. See, when you begin to teach them and to minister to them, notice the, the, the testimony that Jesus had. See, this is the testimony that Jesus had. Jesus said, he said, then you shall know that I am he 
and that I do nothing of myself. I don't do anything on my own, but as my father hath taught me, I speak these things. Oh my goodness. Jesus said, my father has shaped my will. My father has taught me. He's trained me. And therefore I speak the things that I have learned from my father. Last verse of scripture that I want to share with you as we get into father and being a parent. Now we're teaching our children and we're training them and shaping their will by giving them the word, giving them communication, giving them knowledge. Now let's go to John chapter 15. And this is where we'll close off today in John chapter 15. This is what the father does to Jesus. And this is what the father does to us. And then he wants us to do this to our children. Now notice in John 15 and four, the word says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You see that the father, God says, without me, you can do nothing, nothing that will benefit you in the kingdom. So you can do stuff, but you'll be doing it by the devil. But God says, no, without me, everything that has anything to pertain to the kingdom of God, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch. Oh, so now there's a penalty for not abiding in the father. He's cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my father glorified that you bear much fruit so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. That word abide there, it talks about dwelling and living. It talks about remaining in a place. And it also talks about remaining in a state or a condition. So when you're living in God, he wants you to live in him and dwell in him in a condition or a state of being blessed, a condition or a state of having a good relationship with God. It, it, he wants you to stay in that type of position and he wants you to remain there forever. Now notice what God says here. He wants you to remain with him and be united with him in your heart and in your mind and in your will. When God talks about abiding in him, he wants you to live in him, in relationship with him, in your heart, in your mind, in your will. You understand what I'm saying? See, see, you've got to live in God because everything that you get and everything that you do has to come from God as a Christian. Anything that is going to benefit our lives in the kingdom of God, it has to come from God. And the way that it has to come from God is this. You have to abide in him. You have to live in him. Remember what Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. He said, you are the branches and I am the vine. In other words, without me, you can do nothing. As long as the branch is connected to the vine, the branch draws its strength from the vine and the vine feeds the branch. The vine nourishes the branch. But if the branch does not abide and falls off, then it'll be withered because it's on its own with nothing connected to it. It can do nothing because it has nothing attached to it. Nothing is feeding it. 
And then what happens to it? Men gather those sticks up and they throw them into the fire. Jesus was saying, when you don't abide in me and I don't abide in you and my words don't abide in me, you're going to fall off a relationship with me and you're going to fall cast down to the ground. And there you will be without a relationship with God and your life will be broken and destroyed and you will be cast into the fire and into the fires of hell. And then finally, in the great judgment, in the lake of fire, you need to understand, fathers, you have been given a position to serve God by training your sons. And the way that you train your sons is by being a parent to your sons. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And this is a powerful relationship that God has given us. We must spend time. We must stay with our sons. Now, I know that there are circumstances and situations that come up where the father can't stay there and you have to leave. I understand that because sin abounds and it abounds much and people can act crazy and the devil. Everybody's not submitted to God. We understand that. But even if you are lost or even if you have to leave, then you try your best to still impart into your sons and impart into your daughters. If in fact they decide that they walk away from you, they don't want to follow you. They don't want to trust you. You continue to pray for them, but that's all you can do until they change. And until they allow God to come into their heart, they won't have a relationship with you. And you can't beat yourself down and say that you're a terrible parent because your children are living the way the devil wants them to live. That's not your fault, especially if you have been trying to pour into them and minister to them and they have rejected your teaching because there are a lot of fathers out there that have been rejected by their children and, and they're walking around feeling bad because their children don't love them. They don't have a relationship, but it's not your fault. You have done what you could do, but they rejected God, just like people reject Jesus all the time. At the same token, there are mothers walking around who have tried to train their children and the children have walked away because maybe they had a bad father and the father took them away. And then the children have gone to the side of a bad father and one that has neglected God. And so you're feeling bad because you're a mother and your children are not serving God and they're not in a relationship with you, but it's not your fault. You did all you could do, but it's still up to that child to obey God. So don't think that you are God to these children. We are not their gods. We are their parents and we give them and train them and live uh, with them and teach them and train them and provide for them. But it is still up to that child to watch what I say, accept what you're teaching them and then obey God. But they do have a will of their own. Well, I pray that this word has been a blessing to you. And I pray that you've understood, my brothers, that God gives us authority and power to be very powerful influence in the lives of our sons. We've got to do this. We've got to do it as much as possible. Now, there's always a, a chance that we're going to find have some sons that are going to walk away because they want to serve the devil. Well, you, you keep praying and keep standing. But, you know, when they walk away, they walk away. When the rich young ruler walked away from Jesus, Jesus let him walk away because he understood that man had made his mind up and he wasn't going to serve the Lord. Jesus had told him what he wanted him to do and what he could do to have eternal life, but he refused. There are going to be people in your lives, my brothers, that are not going to listen to you. I want to speak to you pastors out there. Those of you that are pastoring churches, they're going to be members in some of your churches. They're not going to listen to you. You're going to preach and you're going to take the word and break it down and 
and do everything you can. You're going to fast and pray, but there's still going to be some members not going to listen. They're going to go the opposite way. Don't think that you're a bad pastor because some folks don't want to listen to you. Just make sure that you're being obedient to God and doing it God's way. And so I want you to understand as we as we continue to teach this, we have not many fathers. We need men to step up into the role of fathership because we have lost so many sons because of a breaking in the relationship between the father and the son, the leaving of the father, the abandoning of the father and the sons have been left to fend for themselves. And sometimes that son goes the opposite direction and they go the way of Satan. Well, I pray that God would bless you, that you and your relationships would be mended and fixed. And those of you that are in relationship now, listen to what the word is teaching you, walk in what God is saying so that you can be blessed and take this message and teach your sons and teach your daughters and minister to them and keep them in the love of God so that they can obey God and walk with God. Remember what Jesus said unto us in Luke chapter 10 and in verse 19, he said, behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. God bless you. We'll see you next week as we continue to talk about we have not many fathers. Be blessed until then as we find out more about raising our sons in our image and after our likeness, the way God made us into his image and to his likeness. Be blessed until then in Jesus name. Praise God.